Hello, and welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Andrew Paul. Edmonton Community Foundation plays many roles in the community. We are the largest non-governmental funder of the charitable sector in the greater Edmonton area, providing more than $30 million every year to hundreds of charities. We are also a community convener, providing space for communities to tell their stories. This is why we're partnering with the Edmonton Queer History Project to present Breend versus Alberta, a special podcast series about the groundbreaking Supreme Court ruling that paved the way for equality for Canada's 2SLGBTQI community. Before we begin, we would like to note that the terms queer and trans and sexual and gender minorities are used in this series to refer to the 2SLGBTQI community as a whole. We acknowledge the great diversity within this community, and you can find more information about this in our show notes. And now, Vreend versus Alberta. There is no doubt there were some within caucus who were very strongly in favor of overriding the decision by using the notwithstanding clause. So I don't think it had ever been invoked prior to that. This was, this, this was blowing up. There was this moment of intense, intense outrage. I had gotten some death threats early on and saying that people like me belonged in, it should be dead, it would belong in hell. Dear Paula Simons, you will burn in hell for all eternity you and your sodomite-loving friends at the Edmonton Journal. We want you to change how you travel to city council, take a different route every day. It's heartbreaking to be reminded that people can be so cruel. You cannot fight that hate by hiding. Welcome to episode eight of Breen versus Alberta. This series is produced by the Edmonton Community Foundation and the Edmonton Queer History Project. I'm your host, Darren Hagen. The government of Alberta was seriously considering whether or not it would accept the Supreme Court ruling. There was pressure being exerted from both sides. In addition to the voices calling for change and progress and the inclusion of sexual orientation as protected grounds in its human rights legislation, there was an extremely well-organized war being waged by the more conservative elements of Alberta society, urging the government to do the exact opposite, to continue to discriminate against queer Albertans by utilizing the only remaining tool in its arsenal. That tool was the notwithstanding clause of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The battle was intense. The message of intolerance was loud and well-funded, and the attacks were getting personal. This was blowing up. Interestingly enough, I didn't personally get death threats at that time. I had gotten some death threats early on from members of the, of the church, but that was, you know, before the first court case even. But, oh my goodness, the province was, <laughs> was in turmoil for a while. There were, there were people celebrating and there were people just like in, in absolute panic. This is going to be the end of Alberta. Let's return to the story of iconic queer Edmontonian Michael Fair, the first openly gay elected official in Alberta. Michael had risen to prominence through his activist work in the 80s, fighting back as a person charged during the Pisces bathhouse raid, and continuing to raise awareness of our queer community through the AIDS crisis. Michael had weathered many a storm, both personal and political, and ultimately had been embraced by the Edmonton voters. But that prominence as a figurehead for the queer community can come with a staggering cost. There was a great deal of fear, including my own fear, that the government was going to to, to do the notwithstanding clause and not accept the ruling. And it was like after all of this thinking, I mean, finally, it's like it's going to be destroyed in one sweep. So um, on Tuesday of that week, city council has a 
at that time, a regular meeting on Tuesday, our regular council meeting. When I came to work that morning, my staff told me about the calls they were getting, which were threatening and saying that people like me belonged in, you know, should be dead, it would belong in hell or those kinds of things and threats that were part of it. Michael Fair, as an outwardly gay public politician in Edmonton, he was getting get death threats to the point where he felt he couldn't go into work safely. This was, this, this was blowing up. This fierce and hateful backlash affected every queer Albertan, especially the many of us who had been positively impacted by the tireless efforts of Michael Fair to create a better world for our community. Michael's friends and allies were many, and we all recall watching the increasingly serious backlash with a growing dread. Murray Billet had been by Michael's side throughout his political career, and even he was shocked. And we had a police department that that sat down with Michael and, and told him that you have to take it seriously. Because Michael is very dismissive of that kind of thing. He's very quick to be dismissive of, of those kinds of things. But it was a wake-up call for everybody in the community to realize that, that you know, our first responsibility is to keep ourselves safe. The security of the building had contacted them, and so had Edmonton Police, who met with me that morning and, and said that these things might be serious. We want you to change how you travel to city council, take a different route every day, and know that we will have plainclothes police in your neighborhood. You won't see them. You won't know that they're there. They were basically trying to say to me, don't pretend that you shouldn't be careful, that some of these threats somebody may try. And the number of calls had reached a point where the city hired a, couple, a temporary a couple of people to help answer calls because there were so many coming in. I mean, it was awful what was being said. So when the council met that day after lunch, when, when I went back to my office and saw some of the written stuff that was coming, I went back into council. I reiterated some of what was going on, some of the kinds of calls and letters we were getting. And, and I said, I'm at a point where I cannot stay here. I'm just too frazzled and too upset. And so I'm leaving and going home. So I got up and left. And I drove by a different route home. And I heard on a talk show on the radio as I was driving, you know, some of this vulgar, awful junk that was being said. It's no different than when somebody that you love is discriminated against. Our community loves Michael Fair, you know, and, and when somebody picks on one of our own, we're, we're going to stand up together to, to help protect him. And, and I was pleased to see um, our mayor and our, our other councillors um, stand together with Michael and, and, and make it very clear that it's, um, that it's just unacceptable. For anyone living an openly queer life, this ugly side of Alberta was a reminder of why we fought to change the world around us, and a warning of what was always just under the surface. Julie Lloyd had taken the risk to operate as an openly lesbian lawyer. She had been moved by the experience of being in the Supreme Court as an intervener, and now she watched as a powerful ally and a dear friend was attacked. It's heartbreaking to be reminded that people can be so cruel. And so, and it's heartbreaking, whether it's someone you know or somebody you don't know, but it's particularly awful when it is a very dear friend and someone who has spent his whole life working to make other people's lives better. And to have someone like Michael, the victim of such vicious, vicious threats, was really heartbreaking. It, it was tough. 
it was one of the worst uh, experiences of my life. It was horrible. So I did come home. I didn't answer the phone after that. I didn't listen to anything either. I just said, I'm oh, just going to deflate, sit around and not do much. So my office called me about, I don't know, about four o'clock, said, you know, the media all wants to talk to you. So I decided that I would do a media conference the next day, which was Wednesday, at City Hall, and we'd invite all the media and uh, talk about what was going on, what was happening, and what I was feeling, what I was seeing. And I worked through a bit of, you know, so what is it I'm going to say, and what do I want to say, and what would be important enough to say that might have some impact? We had all the media, all the national media were there, plus all the local media kind of thing. And more media I've ever seen at a conference that I was ever involved in. And so I talked about what I was experiencing and what my office was getting and the other people. And that's why I left because of that. And then went on to say how dismayed I was that, that this was happening and that the provincial government and the premier was letting it happen and that the kind of things that were being said were directed at people like myself who were decent people. And the province was uh, was there supporting that by doing and allowing this conversation to go on. My heart just sunk. Um, and, and, you know, Michael's just the nicest, most polite, respectful guy. And for for people to, to threaten like that, it's such an uncalled for... It, I took it very personally, and and uh, uh, I know I I was at his press conference with him and and did some media work with him as well. Paula Simons was working as a reporter for the Edmonton Journal, and so she had a bird's eye view of what was transpiring. For her, it was a reminder of why this battle was so important to all Albertans. I wish I could say I was shocked by what Michael Fair said. It wasn't. It was what I would have expected. And frankly, you know, he got this kind of crap before the Vreen decision. But there was this, I mean, there was this moment of intense, intense outrage, intense fury in certain sectors of this province. Sheila Greckel had long been an ally of the queer and trans community. For her, this moment reinforced the importance of the work she did and how crucial it was that all Albertans were treated with equal dignity and justice. The distinction between being actually a member of the community and being an advocate for the community. The life there, the life of community members was on the line in a metaphorical way. And then in the case of the advocates like Michael Fair, personally his life was on the line. So there is a distinction between people like me who are advocates and supporters, and they call them allies now, and people like Michael and Doug and others who are of the community. It's, it's impossible for us to understand how profoundly these events would have affected them. The silence from the legislature was deafening as we all waited to learn whether the Alberta government would invoke the notwithstanding clause. In this void, the voices of opposition were rising, unchecked and violent. For Michael Fair, who had spent decades lobbying the provincial government to treat its queer citizens with some fairness and dignity, watching Ralph Klein an elected official like himself, sit and do nothing while the hate and threats amplified and increased was more than an insult. It was a dereliction of duty. 
um, and it still drives me crazy, is that Klein's comment as the premier at the time was he had no idea how much vitriol and how people were being treated who were gay and lesbian in the community. And I was like, that's not accurate. We've sent tons of letters and emails. We've talked to you personally. We've talked to your members of government. You certainly did know what was going on. You just didn't want to believe it or think that it was real or that it was something that was that important. You let this happen. I was an elected politician as well. He had the power as any politician that could have stopped that and never let it happen. But, you know, but I remember a letter I received at about that time, and it was on blue note paper with little birds on branches, and it was in really pretty penmanship by probably somebody, you know, who was taught penmanship properly to write cursive in a way that no one is now. And the, the letter, which I have still saved all these years later, said, Dear Paula Simons, you will burn in hell for all eternity, you and your sodomite-loving friends at the Edmonton Journal. And it was two pages, and then it ended, you know, yours sincerely or yours respectfully with the person's name. I mean, this was the backwash of the Vreen decision, and it went on. It reverberated and echoed for a long time. But sometimes you have to go through to get to the other side. So uh, I think, again, um, those notorious people that, that, that make those threats and carry on the way they are, this is why it's important to call them out. This is why it's important to stand up, because if you don't, that emboldens them. I remember Michael's speech. I remember, you know, because this, this was a thing, and, and then it was re-echoed when gay marriage became a thing. People were like, oh, there's going to be a terrible backlash. This is going to be worse for the queer community. They all should have just stayed quiet. If they just stayed quiet, there wouldn't have been this anger. And I think what these cases show is that you cannot advance by not being brave. Though other provinces, including Quebec, had invoked the notwithstanding clause on other issues in the past, Alberta had not. Doing so risked triggering an avalanche of hate by legitimizing the increasing homophobia in the province. Doug Stollery and Sheila Greckel remind us how close we came to the precipice. I think the Alberta government came very close to invoking the notwithstanding clause. There were certainly, there is no doubt, there were some within caucus that there were some within cabinet who were very strongly in favor of overriding the decision by using the notwithstanding clause. So I don't think it had ever been invoked prior to that, but uh, to that time it had not been used and it was important to be fighting against it because, you know, the moment that that becomes a, a weapon for the anti-rights people, the anti-equality people, then the charter means nothing. I mean, the guarantees in the charter mean nothing. So the implications of what was going on in Alberta were, of course, much broader than this particular case that we were involved in. It was terrifying, actually, at that time. I mean, it was a fight. And, uh, yeah, no, it, it, the specter of, of uh, reversing the impact of that decision was loomed large and seemed possible at that time. It would have been tremendously disappointing to have done all this work and to have received a, a, a determination that, that the law was unconstitutional from the Supreme Court of Canada in a unanimous decision and to have the Alberta government uh, overturn that. To the extent that 
the law itself was discriminatory, that would pale in comparison with the discrimination that would have been manifested by invoking the notwithstanding clause. I think it would have been a devastating blow. I think that, you know, if you can imagine what things were like 20 years ago, the LGBTQ2S community was just in ascendance. It was just beginning to free itself from the shackles of this discrimination that they had endured for hundreds of years. And it was just emerging into a, a, an era of freedom. But to have that kind of a blow at that time, I think, would have taken the sails out of everyone, the wind out of everyone's sails. There was a huge risk that this could end up making things worse for gay and lesbian and trans people in Alberta if the government had invoked the notwithstanding clause. So I think we would have been, you know, it would have been beyond devastating, beyond devastating. And not to put too fine a point on it, these are the kinds of things that drive people to despair. And I think it's worth remembering now when we see the hate that's being levied at politicians and journalists in this country, especially women and especially women of color, to remember that you cannot fight that hate by hiding, which is easier said than done. These disappointments that strike people personally where they live, in their heart and soul, that is what human rights is. But everyone is affected if the rights of one are destroyed at the expense of the rights. If everyone is affected by these kinds of initiatives by government to exclude a member of a disadvantaged group. So for those individuals that are members of that community at that time in Alberta, the, the consequences for them would have been devastating to their optimism, to their ability to live dignified lives without the fear of discrimination, for them to go forward on the path to freedom that we're now, I think, experiencing in the community. That's would have been the most important devastating effect, but there would be ripple effects in the balance of the equality-seeking community, no matter what disadvantaged group you are a member of. On April 9th, 1998, a full week after the Supreme Court ruling had been handed down, Premier Ralph Klein finally announced that the government of Alberta would not invoke the notwithstanding clause and would accept the decision of the highest court in the nation. It had only been a week. But during that week, Albertans had been witness to an epic struggle between two different visions for Alberta's future, between keeping discrimination in place and the forces of change. It was a satisfying end to a seven-year journey for the many people who had been drawn to the opportunity that this legal challenge had provided. For the legal team, an unqualified victory had never been guaranteed, but they had persisted and in doing so they had changed Canada forever. And for the man at the center of it all, for Delwyn, who had been thrust into the spotlight, becoming an uneasy symbol of revolution, life would never be the same. Coming up on the next episode of Breen versus Alberta. There, there are always dark forces. There are always forces of hatred and exclusion. The human rights code are only the bare minimums. We should be vastly exceeding these. Politics uses division and toxicity because it works. The Breen decision was an important turning point in the development of the law. It had been described as a slippery slope. This was more of a cliff. It added the queers to 
all of the huddled masses. So the impact goes beyond the borders. But we will always have the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that will be there precisely for the minority to protect them from the political mumbling always. So if you think you can make a difference, yes, you can. This episode of Green versus Alberta is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and the Edmonton Queer History Project. It was written, directed, and hosted by Darren Hagen. It was edited and chase produced by Andrew Paul. In this episode, you heard the voices of Delwyn Vreend, Michael Fair, Murray Billet, Julie Lloyd, Paula Simons, Sheila Greckel, and Doug Stollery. The music in Vreen vs. Alberta is written, composed, and recorded by Darren Hagen. Many thanks to our sound operators, Ariana Brophy, David Gallinger, and Andrew Paul. We'd also like to thank our production assistants, Joanne Pierce, Kara Paul, and Graham Loomer. Special thanks to Doug Stollery, Cindy Davis, Edmonton Public Schools Archives and Museum, Cambridge LLP, Goldblatt Partners LLP, Chivers Carpenter Lawyers, and Tory LLP. You can learn more about Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org and check out more queer history by visiting the Edmonton Queer History Project at edmontonqueerhistoryproject.ca.